the future of Portugal's biggest retail bank is up in the air again after the leading bidder to buy Novo Banco withdrew. I'm Patrick Jenkins, the FT's financial editor, and I'm here with Martin Arnold, the banking editor, and Laura Noonan, investment banking correspondent, to discuss the widespread implications of this Portuguese story. The exclusive talks with Anbang, the Chinese institution, have fallen apart and we're left with, well, we don't know what we're left with. There were a couple of other people in talks prior to those exclusive talks. Where do you think this is going to end up, Martin? Let's just recap here. Novo Banco is the good bank that was carved out of Banco Espirito Santo, which at the time was Portugal's biggest bank, after it collapsed last year amid a scandal that shook the country. All of its bad assets were put into a bad bank, and then the remaining good assets were put into Novo Banco. Sales process was started. The government's hoping to complete the sale in time for the election in October. And they've weeded out many of the bidders, left with three bidders, we think, although this has never been officially confirmed, two Chinese groups, both insurance-based groups, Anbang and Fosun International, and another bidder is the US private equity group, Apollo, Apollo Global Management. And what's happened today is an agreement with the leading bidder in terms of the price offered, Anbang, collapsed, and the Portuguese central bank, which is the one running the auction, has said that they're turning now to the next bidder. We don't know who that is, but everybody thinks it's Apollo, that they're the next highest bidder and that Fosun has very much fallen out of favour. Now, this is very complicated in terms of the auction because it's not just about the number being offered, you know, the highest bidder winning. There are a lot of conditionality attached to all of the offers. Uh, they want to leave liability for legal action, and there is a lot of legal action because of the way the bank split and because of the scandal around the way that the bank collapsed. So there's a lot of lawsuits flying around, and the buyers of, of Nova Bank or want to leave liability for that with the central bank or with the bailout mechanism in Portugal. There's also a stress test going on. The European Central Bank has conducted a stress test on Novo Banco, which was excluded from last year's Europe-wide stress test process because it was collapsing. And they've had a catch-up stress test this year, which is expected to reveal a large shortfall and require whoever buys it to put in an extra billion or two of capital. So some of the bidders have, I'm told, attempted to put a cap on how much extra capital they'll put in and anything above that, asking the Central Bank of Portugal to meet that deficit. So basically, you know, this is a very complicated process, highly politically sensitive, and an election coming up. The government there seems to want to get a deal done. But but the big problem they've got is if they are forced to accept a bid that is well below the 4.9 billion euro value put on the bank when it was bailed out, then those losses could fall on the other banks who own this bailout mechanism. So, you know, we really could see some further pain inflicted on the other Portuguese banks if the government is forced to accept a very low offer. Now, US private equity groups like Apollo, are not renowned for offering top dollar for any assets. And Apollo in particular is a distressed debt house by history and by culture. So they are looking for bargain basement distressed assets and they're used to paying the very lowest price. So I think this is a very risky process that could collapse. Laura Martin's point there that the risk of collapse puts pressure on the other banks that are operating in Portugal because they might need to fund the bailout. Does that mean they might be more likely to come out and bid themselves? Well, the other banks would have taken part earlier on in the process. And I think certainly some of them in the first round put in bids, but they came in far, far below. I think 
The ownership structure is going to be a really interesting case. I mean, I was turning this over with some bankers from other banks last week and we couldn't find a single case within the EU where there is a large systemically important retail bank owned by somebody from outside the EU. So if this were to go to either of the other two bidders who were still on the shortlist, you would have a major policy departure. So from that sense, it would be a lot safer simply to have it go to the other banks and to have some kind of a bid from one of the other banks. Now, you would end up with a very large bank and that is the problem. I mean, the other two banks are actually quite large as it is. But I think certainly there would be a lot less risk on the regulatory side if you had a bidder who was actually already in the eurozone, ideally, because there just wouldn't be as much risk in terms of licensing and the policy risk. Okay. Uh, Final word from you, Martin. Final word. I think it's just rumours, but we're hearing that the political mood and the regulatory mood in Europe has turned against some of these Chinese bidders. And also the other question is whether the Chinese bidders themselves, their own appetite for putting capital to work has been diminished or their ability to put capital to work in Europe, buying some of these financial assets that they've been snapping up left, right and centre has been diminished by the losses suffered by investors in the Chinese markets themselves. So have we reached the limits of regulators' acceptance of little-known Chinese bidders coming in and buying up insurance companies and potentially banks. You'll be drawing the line at systemically important retail banks and saying, actually, we're not prepared to go that far. And are the Chinese groups themselves, are they stepping back after the markets have fallen so sharply? It's a very interesting test case, and we'll come back to it, I'm sure. This is an abridged version of the FT's Banking Weekly podcast, which you can download from ft.com slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.